There's a story uh, about a Sunday school teacher. You know, interesting because kids are going down to Sunday school. And uh, he had a group of kids in grade one. And he decided that he wanted to explain to these children um, what you have to do to go to heaven. But he decided that before he, he decided that before he did that, he wanted to hear what they'd already heard. What do they already have learned? What, what's going around in their heads already? And so he decided to ask them a series of questions. He said, all right, kids, uh, here's the first question. If I sold my house and my car, and I have a really big garage sale, and, and I take all that money and gave it all to the church, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids went, no. Okay, okay, second question. If I cleaned the church, and, and, I, and I mowed the lawn, and I shoveled the snow, and I kept everything neat and tidy, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids said, no. What about this? What if, what if I'm kind to animals, and I give candy to children? Would that get me into heaven? And all the kids went, no. Well then, how can I get into heaven? And a kid at the back, it always is like a kid at the back, right? The kid at the back stands up and he says, you got to be dead. <laughs> so today we begin uh, the new year. We begin with a new series, and this is going to be broken down into two parts, okay? First part and the second part. The second part is called Heaven a Viewing, all right? And we're going to do that in March. First part is Heaven, who's going? Who's going, you know, beyond just dead people. Uh, you probably already know this because you were part of the statistic. Did you know that you're part of a statistic? What great news. Most North Americans believe that in, there's some version, uh, language changes, but there's some version of heaven, some sort of an afterlife, in the good place, right? Most North Americans believe that we're going there. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of questions. I, I'm not too sure. I don't know exactly what it means. Don't ask me to explain it too much. I'll just use some language that hides that I don't really know what's going on. But there's a general sense that there's something beyond this life, and we refer to it as heaven. It's a good place. And we assume we're going to go there. It, it's, I just don't know how to work it out somehow. But, but God will work it out. For now, I, I don't have time to think about it because I got work to do. I got, I got to raise my kids. I got to go to school. I got exams I need to study. I got a meeting that, geez, I'm probably running late for that. Um, I don't really have time to give it a lot of thought or study right now. But I know. I just know that there's a life after death. There's some sort of heaven. And you know what? I'm confident. I feel pretty good about it. I'm going to go there. There's two assumptions that fuel this confidence that um, so many of us seem to have that most of it, here's the, uh, the assumptions that most of us uh, believe that we are, uh, we, we believe that good people go to heaven. And the second assumption is, well, I'm a good person. I'm good enough, for sure. I mean, the good people are in heaven, the bad people are, well, go back into November and look at we, the hell stuff that we talked about there. I, I, I don't want to think about that stuff anymore. It's a new year. Let's talk about heaven. Good people go to heaven, and I'm a good person. I mean, just Look at the time. I don't have time to talk about this anymore because I'm also a very busy person. I'm sure somebody else has figured it all out. We should go talk to them. Now, some Christians reject this formula um, that good people go to heaven. Some Christians reject part of this. 
And some Christians accept some version of it. But let's talk about it. There are obviously some advantages to this way of thinking, that good people go to heaven and I'm a good person. Advantage number one, it's just, right? It sounds fair. It only makes sense that good people would go to a good place if there's a good place to go after this life. I mean, that's just fair. Good people should be rewarded for being good in this life. The whole idea of this is embedded in just about every religious system, in some version or another, with some variation, the language, the terms, what we mean, but the idea, the general stuff is there. And let's be honest, when we think about things that we don't really want to spend time thinking about, everybody can't be wrong, right? Second advantage, number two, you make the cut. You make the cut because you're a good person. Seriously, when compared to some people, you're amazing. You're an amazing person. And none of us like to admit this out loud, right? Because we don't really like judgmental people, and we don't want to be judgmental. But come on, we're all here together. You know that you're better than... And you've met at least one amazing person in your life. But you know that you're at least good enough, and you're certainly better than... No, we don't want to bring it up. Uh, We don't want to mention it out loud, but honestly, of course, you, you are better than, you're a good person. The third advantage is that this whole notion of good people go to heaven and you're a good person is that it supports the notion of a good God. And there is virtually no theology of a bad God, right? We don't believe that in the beginning, a really bad God created the heavens and the earth. The moment that people look up and, and, and think about God now, there's a sense that God is good. So, a good God would want good people in His good heaven or the good afterlife. It just makes sense. Fourth, the fear of not going to heaven should motivate people to be good. So, the fear of an afterlife, uh, there's some sort of cosmic uh, someone out there watching or keeping score, actually is pretty motivating. There's got to be some sort of payoff, right? There will be some kind of reward for being kind and for being good, especially, especially for sacrificing, right? And for giving and being generous and going the extra mile. And there exists around us some sort of sense of ought to that kind of hangs over all of us. Well, you you ought to. Um, and, and, And then you go and you do something that you ought not to, and it violates your conscience. And these aren't rules that you made up, because let's be honest, if you were making up the rules, you'd probably just change the rules, right, so that you wouldn't feel guilty. That makes sense. If that sense of ought to is divine, or, or if um, we, we at least know that we didn't make it up, and there's some sort of uh, cosmic mind or a, or a being behind ought to, then it makes sense that we ought to. 
That's a good pressure. It moves us in a good direction. The idea that I'll be rewarded for doing what I ought to, especially when it costs me and especially if I didn't want to, there's a payoff to being extra nice or or being extra kind or extra selfless. So be good, for goodness sake, and you'll go to a good place. The problem with uh, the good people go to heaven thing is this. Most people who believe that, and maybe you're one of those people, maybe that's the way that you've processed this, chances are you haven't given it a lot of thought. You haven't studied it. And I understand that. I get that. Uh, Because why? Uh, You're busy. and, and, And how can we know, honestly? How can we finally get an answer? I mean, everybody can't be wrong. And there seems to be sort of a universal assumption that, but, but on closer examination, the good people that go to heaven theory, it breaks down quickly. This might feel, okay, a little bit like I'm poking fun, okay? And it feels that way because I am. I like fun and I like poking at it, but this, is, this really becomes a little bit absurd once you actually start to think about it, okay? And here's the unsettling reality. When you decide to base your eternity on this thought, this assumption, this myth that came from who knows where, we get into trouble to begin with, number one. And this is kind of a big one. This is a, this is a really big one, actually. We have no indisputable, agreed-upon, divinely revealed standard. So, if there is a God who is going to let us into heaven because we are good, then God should have let us know what good is. There should be some universal. You know, the the whole world just understands this is bad and this is good, this is right, this is wrong, this is evil, but there is no multi-generational And that's the part that we forget about right there. It's not just a snapshot, right, of this generation, our year, our modern times right now. There's no multi-generational universal set of rules to measure our behavior against. Now, you might not all be history majors, but you know enough history to know this. The idea, the concept of justice and the concept of morality and the concept of good It's been all over the map historically. What was self-evidently good 500 years ago, in many cases, we think is self-evidently evil now. What was considered obviously bad, now in the modern times, people are thinking, no, 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 that's not bad, that's good. So how do we know? How do we decide? Think about this. Based on our current ethic, and you probably have heard this before, our current ethic of how women should be treated in the modern world, that men and women are equal. I shouldn't be revealing that to you. Uh, This seems obvious to us now. There's a dignity to both, not the same, but equal. But if that's good, if our view of the dignity of women is good, that means that before the 20th century, maybe only a dozen men ever went to heaven. Now think about that. Not too long ago, the idea of the inherent dignity of women and the inherent equality of women was not 
the assumption. It was self-evident that men were just better than women. And in some parts of the world, that's still the assumption. That's still the way they live. It is self-evident. <coughs> I think that's a huge bad thing. I think it's horribly wrong. So, how could a good God possibly let a bunch of men into heaven who lived their whole life thinking that, practicing that? So, I don't think that there'll be very many men in heaven prior to the 19th century that make it to heaven. Kind of absurd, isn't it? Right? And women, if you're thinking, I love this. <laughs> Today? Today, he is such a good speaker. He's right, you know. Don't get comfortable. We're not done yet. Based on our current understanding, our Western understanding of the dignity of all people and, all, uh, and, and our thoughts about slavery, then I'm afraid that maybe nobody before the 16th century went to heaven, except maybe slaves. Because all over the world, it was self-evident. It was just an obvious assumption. Some people were born to own and to rule, and other people were born to be owned and to be ruled over. And I'm not talking about a country. I'm talking about all over the world. In every single culture, there were slaves. People were owned. And, and well, now where we live right now, we think, well, what could be badder than that? I've done some bad things. You've done some bad things, no doubt, no doubt. But what could possibly be worse than treating a human being like they're a possession? Or treating a human being worse than you'd treat your cattle? I would just think that anybody who did any of that or who even acknowledged that that's an okay thing or a good thing or to think about it, maybe dream about it, you say, well, today... I'm not rich enough, but if I work hard, I'll have enough to have slaves, and I hope one day I'll have slaves. And anybody who thought that way or supported that way of thinking, I mean, it's so horrible. None of those people should go to heaven, should they? But if that's the case, before the 16th century, wow, who made it to heaven? My point is simply this. Good is a moving target. Good is a moving target culturally. It's a moving target generationally. It's a moving target nationally. And if we're real honest, and this is a good place to be really honest because you don't have to be honest out loud, it's a moving target personally. Because there, there are things that bother you now that didn't bother you at an earlier time of your life. There are things that bother you in this season right now that you consider bad. That once upon a time, not only did they not bother you, but you just thought that they were good. So how do we know what good is? It's constantly changing. There's no consensus. There's not even a consensus in the world in this generation, much less when you take into consideration all of the previous generations. Now, of course, some people want to say, maybe you want to say, hold on just a minute here. You're kind of out to lunch, and it's not lunchtime yet, Mr. Pastor Man. You should know the answer to this. The Bible. Hello? 
Get out your Bible, buddy. The Bible tells us the standard. It tells us right and it tells us wrong. It tells us about good and bad. The Bible is the standard by which we should all measure our behavior. The Bible tells us enough about good to know whether or not we're good enough to go to heaven. But as the pastor man, I don't advise you to use the Bible for your own evaluation. Because if the Bible is the standard, then you don't make the cut. Harsh, right? Happy New Year. Sorry about that. So to make it nice and easy, people sometimes say, okay, maybe not the whole, but what about the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah, that's a good standard. Everybody should do those, right? Good idea. Name them. So you live by the Ten Commandments. You go, yes, yes, I do my best to try and live by the Ten Commandments. Well, okay. Name them. I have never met anyone who, without having to stop and think and really work at it, could name them. Even if their eternity depended on it, and somehow people think that their eternity depended on it. Here's the next thing. No, you don't. No, you don't keep the Ten Commandments. Nobody in this room, nobody at church online out there keeps the Ten Commandments. You don't even know what they are. Because it's okay to think that as long it's okay to think that as long as you don't know what they are. It's easy to keep them, right? So sneak peek. We're gonna talk more specifically about the Ten Commandments in episode three. So you can, you know, eagerly look forward to that and cram. You can study up for that. It will give you some time. You can look them up. Uh, maybe you can learn five of them. Uh, but the Ten Commandments show up in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, right? And then again in the book of Deuteronomy. Nervous there, but you're right. Exodus and Deuteronomy, chapter 20 and Exodus, chapter 10 and Deuteronomy. And in the book of Exodus, the word heaven doesn't appear. It's not in the book at all, unless it's referring to the heavens, you know, like the sky. There is no correlation given between the Ten Commandments or any of the laws, and there are plenty of laws given by God and going to heaven. The Old Testament doesn't have any theology of an afterlife. It's kind of sad. Everybody just goes to Sheol. Everybody. It's just where they go when you die. That's the whole Old Testament. And yet in the Old Testament, we find all the rules, lots of rules, all the rules, all the laws. So the Old Testament is no help. And the Ten Commandments, they're no help because nowhere is there a connection between keeping them and heaven. But the New Testament, right? It's actually worse. The New Testament is full of stuff about heaven, more here than in any other ancient literature about heaven and the afterlife. There's so much about eternity and so much about heaven, but the New Testament's kind of a bit of a tease because in the New Testament, if we're trying to find a way to work our way to heaven, the message that you will get there is, good luck, you're doomed. Super Pharisee, Paul, one of the best Jews ever. One of the goodest people ever wrote this in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. 
He said, there is no one righteous. Not even one. Not even me, he's saying. There's no one good. Not even one. And he goes on a little later, verse 20. He says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, by being good. Rather, through the law, because of the law, we become conscious of our sin. Oh, I'm not living up to the law. No one will be declared good by working at it. The law just makes it clear that we are not good, that we are sinful. And regardless of where you find the rules or the laws, and you think that by keeping these rules or these laws, I might just be declared righteous, Paul says, you're kidding yourself. The law just proves that you are not good. And then, just in case we had not caught on so far, Paul makes it short, sweet, super clear for us in verse 23. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one did enough good things. The Bible does not provide us with a standard of conduct that guarantees us heaven, even though there's so much in the Bible about heaven. Now, this is a three-episode discussion, okay? And today's not the whole story, right? It's just episode one of three. It's not done yet. But right now, in this minute, while we're here right now, I am not arguing that the Bible is correct about heaven in this moment right now. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. The Bible has no magic list that if you do this and you don't do that, that you'll be right with God and you'll go to heaven when you die. It does not exist. And the reason that we can feel so sure that it does exist, that it culturally is just there, the reason we can feel so strongly about it is because we don't actually read our Bibles all that much. The unsettling reality is that, uh, first of all, we have no established standard. But don't worry, because there's lots more problems. Second problem with good people go to heaven is this. We don't know what percentage of our actions have to be good to make the cut, right? Is it a test? Is there a start time and an end time? What grade do you need? Is it 50%, 65%, 82%, 20%? The point is you have no idea. So first of all, we don't even know what good is exactly, and then we don't know what percentage of our deeds have to be good to make the cut to get into heaven. Nobody told us. <coughs> Does the God density in the environment that you're in matter? Some of us grew up with a, with a whole lot more God around us than other people. So what if you grew up where there was no teaching necessarily about right or wrong or morality? Does God take our environment into account? Does He adjust the grading based on where you grew up? Well, we know what we would say, right? Well, if I was God, then yes. But you're not God. I'm not God. And God never told us if He takes our environment into account. Oh, and then there's this, this one. This one will make you uncomfortable. At what age do your deeds start counting, right? 
somewhere after 50, right? After 65, I guess. When does the ledger sheet start? If heaven depends on this, shouldn't we know? Shouldn't the formula, shouldn't the system be a little bit more clear? Number three, we don't know if thoughts and motives count against us. Is it just what we do or why we do what we did? Number four, we could already be out of time. We don't know. You don't, um, you, you may have done so many bad things that you don't have enough time to do enough good things to make up for all your bad things. Think Christmas Carol and Scrooge. Does he have enough time? We don't even know how the bad things measure against the good things. You might be thinking that this was, you know, kind of bad, but it turns out that that was really super bad, but you don't know because you're just making that up. Maybe it's a bad thing for you to think that your bad things aren't that bad. You don't even know if there's a way to make up for bad things. You might think that my good outweighs my bad, and that's an interesting thought. First of all, you would be the one deciding what is good, and you'd be the one deciding what is bad. You're creating your own scale, okay? And then you're going to decide how it tips and how much everything good and bad weighs. You're making those choices, but you have no idea. You don't even know if God has a scale. There might be bad things that once you do them, you're just out, dude. Ain't no coming back from that. You are done, but you don't know. And if you are out of time and you're still trying, then you might be being good for nothing. You're trying to be a good person. You keep asking, hey, did you see that? Did you see what I did? Let's put it on Instagram. I did something really good, right? But it doesn't matter anymore because you've already done too many bad things. You scratch beneath the surface of the good people go to heaven thing, and it all falls apart. Just check out the show, The Good Place, and you will see how crazy the good points thing gets. You think that's bad? Wait until you hear this one. Number five, we could miss heaven by one good deed. There, there, there has to be a cutoff point at somewhere, right? You were so close. Oh, sorry. Oh, you were so close, but then you lost your temper at the government. You lost your temper at that customer service agent that wasn't giving you any customer service. Or the lady that cut you off on your way to church. So close, but so far you missed it. Oh. But you don't know that you're out. And you just keep trying. Here's a really big problem with the whole system, okay? Think about this. If good people go to heaven, but God never took the time to explain to you what is good and, and how it works and how your eternity depends on it, the number six, God is not good. No notes, just a final exam. No date posted for the exam. You don't know when it starts or when it ends. If He is good, He should show up every generation or so and give us the updated version of good because so much changes. We're starting a new year right now, so there should be a new end-user license agreement, right? 
We need the new operating system upgrade. We should already be in good enough 2023.1. There's whole categories of crimes that didn't even exist 100 years ago. And, and what do we tell our children? Do we just make stuff up? According to Jesus, good people don't go to heaven. According to Jesus, it's the very opposite of what most people who believe that there's a heaven actually think and believe. The fact that Jesus didn't believe that good people go to heaven, that doesn't necessarily make it true. That's just what He taught, and that's what He said, so that's what He believed. Jesus did not teach that good people go to heaven, but Jesus instructed His followers to be good, and more than that, to do good, to do good and to be good to each other, and to do good and to be good to their enemies, which means that Jesus believed that we are capable of doing good and being good. Jesus recognized that we are able to recognize the difference between good and evil, good and bad, be good and do good, even to those that mistreat me. He said, here's how good I want you to be. I want you to be as good as my Father in heaven, but not so you'll go to heaven. Nothing Jesus taught, nothing Jesus illustrated, nothing Jesus parabolized points to the fact that somewhere there's a magic list, and if you can just stay on the positive side of the ledger, you're in. Not only did He not imply that, He taught the very opposite. At the same time, He instructed His followers to be good, and not only did He instruct them to be good, if, you, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, He took good and He kicked it up two notches, three notches. He took good, be good, to such a level that the best people, the goodest people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they found themselves condemned under Jesus' teachings as not being good enough to keep even their own laws. And never once did Jesus infer that if you're good enough to do even what I taught in the Sermon on the Mount, that you'll spend eternity in heaven. Of course, you could argue that doesn't mean that Jesus was right. When it comes to the good people go to heaven theory, you've got to take everything that Jesus uh, everything about him, everything he did, everything he taught, and you've got to take that off the table. You've got to set it aside because Jesus and everything he taught is irrelevant to the thought that somehow there's a cosmic scale and that maybe my good will outweigh my bad and I'll be good to go. Be like my Father in heaven but not so you'll go, not so you'll get into heaven. And you know the end of this story. The good people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and, and, and the bad people, the Romans, they got together, they conspired together, and they killed Him, they crucified Him, they executed Him. But He had the final word from the cross. He said to a very bad man, I'll see you on the other side. If Jesus is who His first century followers claimed He is, that's really good news. 
When you lose a loved one, you can grieve with hope. You can full-on grieve with hope. If good people go to heaven and you have no idea what the system is, then you don't have much hope. Yet the followers of Jesus stated clearly, you can grieve with hope. This is not a Jesus is right argument. I'm just telling you what He taught. If Jesus was correct, John 3.16, if Jesus was correct that God so loved the world that He showed up, and He didn't have to show up every generation to update the rules. He showed up one time to show us the way, to tell us the way, and then Jesus was questioned. And as blasphemous as this was, when Jesus was questioned, He said, I am the way. Instead of giving us a list, God gave us Himself. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever behaves like Him, that whoever behaves correctly, that whoever does more good than bad, that whoever believes, whoever puts their trust, whoever places their full weight in Him shall not be lost to God, shall not perish but have eternal life regardless of what they've done or didn't do. They will have eternal life, something that the Old Testament never refers to. You will have life after death. And if Jesus was correct, this is amazing. John, who, who wrote this stuff down, he comes into the story, he enters the story, and then he writes it down. He said, this is what happens to me, but, uh, so we could read it. He came into the story just like Peter did and Andrew did and James and Nathaniel. They all came in and they all assumed they had to keep the law. And they said, we don't know what happens in the afterlife. As far as we know, we all go to Sheol. I hope God sorts it out. Someday there's supposed to be, I, I think, a resurrection or something, maybe some kind of judgment day. I hope we made it but we don't really know. There was no confidence. There was no assurance. We're just doing the best that we can. And we sat under Jesus' teaching for three and a half years, and it was completely different. Here's what we learned. If Jesus is correct, God is not. He's not trying to catch us doing wrong, to condemn us. He, verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And John would tell us, here's how He's going to do it. Here's the plan. He's not going to send us an updated set of rules every generation. He's going to do it through Him. He only needed to come the one time, and He invited us all to place our trust in Him. And that all of our evil and bad and unintentional deeds, regardless of motive and upbringing and context and everything else, they could all be paid for, wiped away, so that we can mourn with assurance. So that you can know and not be constantly questioning and calculating, was that enough good? How bad was that? So you can know that things are good between you and God. And it's not because you're working really, really hard. So what do we do? 
don't miss episode two of Heaven Who's Going. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You for Your kindness and Your grace and Your mercy. Father, for the person today that it, it just clicked for. Thanks for translating my words into Your words. Thanks for bringing understanding and connection, and I pray that You would give that person the wisdom to embrace that truth and the, and the courage to take the next step, to hold on to that truth for the rest of their lives, to remind those of us who have heard it before to hold on to this truth. Thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, into this world, not to condemn us, but to give us the possibility of hope. Thank you that hope is a person and not a concept. Thank you that there's some place I can place my trust. Thank you that even in the midst of me dropping the ball, goofing it up, missing the mark, there is the possibility of forgiveness and there's the possibility of renewed, restored, reinvigorated relationship with you and even sometimes with the people around me. God, help me. Help, help us to live in light of your love and the freedom that it brings. We trust you. Once again, we're going to desire, we're going to choose to put our weight on you. Trust you to bring about the outcome that will be right for us, even if it's not the outcome that we want. We trust you. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for being worthy of our trust. Amen.